Welcome to Words Matter with Katie Barlow and Joe Lockhart. Welcome to a special edition of Words Matter. So, Joe, last week the Democrats held their first debates in Miami, 20 candidates over two nights. Now that the dust has settled a bit, we wanted to get your take on what happened and what, if anything, has changed in the race for the Democratic nomination as a result. So let's start with the first night. Going into it, Joe, you said it was Elizabeth Warren's to lose. How'd she do? Uh, she didn't lose. She, I think she won the debate. She she stood out. I think uh, she did what she needed to do. And I think it's been reflected in the, in the polling afterwards. I do think when you look at the two nights, though, she drew the short end of the stick because the second night was much more interesting debate and had much more of the candidates who actually will be there at the end. So I think if she had her way, she would have been on the second night, but she she made the best of the first night. Now, coming out of the 2018 midterms, one of the rising stars appeared to be former Texas Congressman Beto O'Rourke. Despite having lost a race for the Senate to Ted Cruz, Beto was being praised for the energy and enthusiasm he brought to the campaign trail, including his debate skills. And back in March, he announced his candidacy for president in a splashy Vanity Fair spread, complete with Fran Lebowitz photos, some Commentators were even comparing Beto to Abraham Lincoln at the time, who was a former congressman who lost a Senate race in 1858 and was elected later for president in 1860. But when you ranked the candidates, their first night performances for CNN.com last week, you had Beto dead last, 10 of 10. What about his performance made you put Beto at the bottom of the pack? So much about politics is about expectations. Maybe it shouldn't be, but it is. And there were high expectations around Beto, uh, and he failed uh, to meet them. Politics at the presidential level uh, is like going to you know the top of Mount Everest. It's very thin up there. It's hard to breathe. Don't always do your best. I think the debates, though, in general, and Beto is a, is a victim of this, did what they were supposed to do over two nights. Uh, they exposed the absolute pretenders, the the Eric Slawwells of the world, the Bill de Blasio's, the Marianne Williamson, and even and, uh, Beto O'Rourke. He's not going into place in this race, despite his ability to raise money and, um, you know, uh, generate enthusiasm among some voters. Uh, I think there's a second group uh, that had a lot of interesting things to say. I put Governor Inslee and Governor Hickenlooper uh, Senator Michael Bennett, and they're not going to get the nomination, but they have something to contribute. So I think they're going to hang around for a while. You know, this debate was in June, not in January. And if you're going to make mistakes, you want to make them early. But what I think it did do, and I think it's what the DNC was hoping it would do, is solidify the top tier of candidates. Uh, there's no surprises uh, in that top tier. And so I think the the debates did what the Democrats needed, which was to present five or six viable, interesting, exciting candidates uh, for voters and caucus goers to really start taking a hard look at and getting rid of the pretenders and the, the guys who have great ideas but are not going anyplace. So also on night one, there was Julian Castro and Cory Booker. And how did Castro and Booker stack up? Well, listen, I think Castro really wasn't in the race. He had not made his mark. 
and uh, at uh, Beto O'Rourke's expense, uh, he put himself um, in the race with some very cogent attacks on immigration uh, and what's going on at the border and how children are being treated. Uh, there were implicit t- attacks there on Trump. Uh, and he introduced himself, I think, in a pretty powerful way. Again, do I think he is in that first tier of candidates? Maybe right at the bottom. But he did well. Booker is a wild card to me. You know, I, I think he is a charismatic uh, candidate. You know, for everyone who loves him, he rubs somebody the wrong way. The reason I am not overlooking Booker is the insiders say he has put together a really strong organization in Iowa And that matters uh, when it comes to caucus goers. All right. So now I want to talk about the second night. The 4th of July may be this week, but last week in Miami, there were plenty of fireworks when four of the top five leading candidates, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Bernie Sanders and Pete Buttigieg joined six others on the debate stage for night two. Let's start with Senator Harris. Now that we have had a few days to let the dust settle, to digest what happened, how did Thursday night change the landscape for Senator Harris and her campaign? Harris, from the beginning, on paper, was a very strong candidate. Uh, She had a great announcement. She raised a bunch of money. But then I think she stumbled a little bit in the town hall meetings. She she didn't seem prepared. She seemed to get flustered by questions. Uh, And I know she spent a lot of time preparing uh, for these debates. And in the debates... She proved that she's definitely one of the top, you know, three or four contenders. She was very strong. One of the things about these debates is all of the uh, candidates spend a lot of time preparing. Uh, And I can tell you uh, through the history of debates, the most powerful lines were not off the cuff. They were practiced. Walter Mondale looking at Gary Hart and saying, where's the beef, which got Mondale back into the race. President uh, Ronald Reagan Looking at Mondale in, later in that campaign, after uh, the story being that Reagan was too old and was losing it and saying, I'm not going to let my opponent's youthful inexperience, I'm not going to hold it against him. Uh, Lloyd Benson, looking at Dan Quayle, uh, who was comparing himself to John Kennedy and saying, you know, uh, John Kennedy was a friend of mine and uh, I knew John Kennedy. And let me tell you, Senator Quayle, you're no John Kennedy. All of those were were rehearsed. Now, anyone can come up with good lines. All 20 candidates had good lines prepared, but not all of them were able to deliver them at the right time, the right way. Uh, You know, my favorite example of the right way, the right time was Kamala Harris. She did really well with that. The worst was Eric Swalwell of uh, California, you know, standing at the end. He seemed to just jump in out of nowhere and throw these lines like, you know, I spend all the time changing diapers and working in Washington and the diapers smell better and pass the torch, pass the torch. Well, the torch burned him uh, because the lines were not authentic. They seemed canned. He seemed like, you know, a Ken doll up there. Uh, so, you know, you can prepare all you want, but it takes some a natural ability from these candidates to know when to go and when to deliver these lines. And again, we saw great examples of uh, candidates like Kamala uh, uh, doing it well. And then we saw lots of examples of candidates not doing it well. The best line in debates are ones that seem off the cuff and spontaneous, 
but are actually well-practiced and executed and delivered at the right time. And she had two different uh, ones of those. One was the line about, let's not have a food fight when we want to put food on people's table, which was very well-received in the room. And then, um, you know, the the line of attack on Joe Biden uh, about segregation is, and, and busing with a personal touch about her own story. Uh, you know, Biden seems surprised by that. Whether he should have been or not is, is an open question. But I think she did a lot for herself uh, as far as recharging and restarting her campaign uh, in a way that someone like Beto O'Rourke did not on the first night. Uh, so I think she's put herself solidly in contention. And, you know, we're again, we're, we're talking about the beginning of July. There's so much that has to happen. But you want to be in that first tier. Uh, you want to be in the one that people are talking about, that cable news is doing stories on you, you know, every couple of days. And she she did everything she needed to do and a little bit more. I want to get to Biden in a minute, but going into the debate, and, and as you've said, the conventional wisdom was that this would be Bernie versus Biden, left versus center, the battle of the septuagenarians. What happened to Bernie? Well, I think Bernie's finding that there's very little space for him. That he's doing nothing new from 2016. It's it's the same old stuff. And Elizabeth Warren is doing that stuff better. And Pete Buttigieg is doing it younger. So he he is getting squeezed both by the millennials who look at Buttigieg as a generational candidate and by uh, the progressives, the far left progressives who see Warren as a more dynamic candidate than Bernie Sanders. He's one of the big losers here. He didn't do that poorly in the debate. He delivered his lines. But the the rationale for his candidacy is diminished. So also, Joe, on Thursday night was Mayor Pete Buttigieg's first time on the national stage, and the bar was set pretty high. How do you think Mayor Pete did? I, I actually think he did well. I actually, for me, he had the most memorable line of the debate, which was when they asked him about the situation of uh, why minority policing levels in South Bend were so low, he answered with complete candor, which is he hadn't gotten the job done. You know, he's an interesting mix of sober, intelligent realism that uh, we don't, we haven't seen very often in politics. Plus, he's just physically young looking, which... I think to uh, millennials uh, is very appealing. And when he talks, you don't get the sense that, you know, he's inexperienced. You get the sense that he's very thoughtful. You know, I don't think he's seen a surge in the polls. Uh, he's certainly got enough money, given how much he's raised the second quarter. And he's he remains really one of the most interesting candidates in the field. And that counts for a lot as far as press coverage. Uh, people are intrigued and want to know more about him. And when you're, you know, when you're six months from voting, that's a good thing. All right. So now for the front runner, Joe Biden, with a little hindsight now, how did how did Biden do? It was not a great performance. And, I, you know, I look at this as those with the most experienced front runners, incumbents tend to be overconfident tend to not listen to their advisors and think that, you know, they know so much that they'll do fine. Uh, and I think we had a good bit of that with Biden. Um, I, w I was joking with someone uh, earlier this week that you remember how badly o Obama did in his first debate in the reelection with uh, Mitt Romney. 
And, you know, Bill Clinton was poised in 1996 to do very poorly against Bob Dole based on the debate prep. He had spent two days getting his ass kicked by George Mitchell, who was playing Bob Dole. And in one of the breaks, Paul Begala came up to me and said, you know, why don't we sit down and write the New York Times story the day after the debate of Clinton loses debate election now up for grabs. Uh, and it was a highly pleasurable uh, experience to write the story. It was even more pleasurable to show it to Bill Clinton and watch his face turn red. And that, among other things, propelled him to take the last debate session very seriously. And he ended up doing very well. Uh, so I think Biden uh, was not mentally prepared for what the debate was going to be like. Does this mean that he won't be for the next one? It doesn't. This idea that he's finished is silly. Sometimes you need that slap in the face, that wake up call uh, to know that, you know, you're not just going to be handed the nomination. He I think he knows now that he's got to earn this. Uh, he's a tough politician. He's either going to earn it on the merits or lose it on the merits. But, it, you know, won't be handed to him. And again, mistakes in June are a lot less costly than uh, mistakes in January. That's a great story about the debate prep of uh, President Clinton. Let me ask you this. Does Joe Biden have a problem saying he was ever wrong? He couldn't do it with the Anita Hill hearings. He couldn't do it in the debate. Is that an issue for him? Listen, I, I, this is why I think Pete Buttigieg's line uh, was so memorable in the debate. Biden does have a an issue with making things conditional. If you were offended, if someone heard that when I said this, and I think that he would benefit greatly from letting people know that I don't always get it right. And, you know, one of the things about being in public life for 40 plus years is I, ha I have a great record, but I didn't always get it right. I, I, I was thinking during the debate that on the issue of busing, um, you know, those of us old enough to remember, that was a very tough issue. And it split liberals down the middle. And I, it, it struck me listening to the debate that adding some context and saying it was a very hard decision and people will have to make up their own mind, but then also providing some context along the lines of reminding people that, you know, most politicians over, say, the age 50, uh, at least the age 60, up until about seven or eight years ago, uh, were against same-sex marriage. Almost everyone, and Biden was one of the first who came out for it. You know, you can't run on your record if you're not willing to at least acknowledge the places where you didn't get it exactly right. All right. Well, it's probably a good time to remind everyone that at this point in 2015, the Republican primary field was polling as follows. Jeb Bush at 22 percent, Scott Walker at 17, Marco Rubio, 14 percent, Ben Carson, 11, Mike Huckabee, 9, Rand Paul, 7, Rick Perry, 5, Ted Cruz and Chris Christie were tied at 4 percent, Carly Fiorina at 2 percent and Donald Trump at 1%. Joe, I know you've said there are those that have a chance and then the rest of them, but is it too early to have any real sense of how this is going to play out? I don't think we have a Donald Trump character uh, in the Democratic field that's going to come out, that's going to come from 1%. I think the people who have 1% now are going to finish this race with less than 1%. But I, I think there is a lesson in there for Biden, uh, which is people at this point four years ago thought that Jeb Bush just was a juggernaut and there was just no way to stop him. And that wasn't true. 
And if the Biden uh, people think that his nomination is inevitable, uh, then they're going to go the way of Jeb Bush. You know, I've said for a long time now that he has to both believe that he has to earn every vote and publicly talk about earning every vote. Nothing is owed to anyone in politics. So uh, there is a lesson there for Biden. I don't think there's anyone uh, in the Democratic field that has the, uh, whether it's the talent or whatever you want to call what Donald Trump has, to shake up the race in the way 2016 happened. Okay, Joe, that's all for this special episode. Certainly to be continued. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to Words Matter. For more information on our show and hosts, visit wordsmattermedia.com. Please rate and review Words Matter on Apple Podcasts and other podcast providers.